Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Adam Kankren. I think I might have come up with maybe the best public awareness uh, coronavirus campaign. I can't wait. We need one. You want to hear it? Absolutely. All right. So I want you to imagine that you're listening to the theme from Ghostbusters. Okay. But instead of the lyrics you might expect, uh, it'll go something like this. When there's a brand new strain in your neighborhood, (laughs) who you gonna call? COVID boosters! (laughs) When there's the Delta strain and it don't look good, who you gonna call? COVID boosters! (laughs) So uh, I I expect you to to work your sources and uh, pass this along, and we can split the cut once they accept it. I feel like it's ready to pitch. Honestly, let me let me let me connect you with Joe, and we'll uh, we'll work something out. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch, and today, Adam Kankren on, uh, you guessed it, COVID boosters. Boosters. This is something that uh, health officials in the administration have been looking at for a long time, and and the main question has been this: you know, most vaccines need a booster at some point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the initial shot, it gives you the kind of protective antibodies, right, that you want. But over time, in a lot of cases, that protection tends to tends to wane, tends to wear off a little bit. Um, and so, this has been the constant question over the past few months: is when exactly is that point, and and what is the appropriate time to start kind of trying to reinforce that protection again with boosters? Mm-hmm. And what made the difference here was new information that the CDC had collected looking across all age groups over time that indicated that protection against COVID, and especially this more contagious Delta variant, what had actually declined over the last few months. And now this isn't a significant decline, uh, and it's only a decline in protection against infection, right? So if you were vaccinated, you're still unlikely to have severe disease that results in hospitalization or death. Mm-hmm. But this is a decline and a, and a, and a, and a notable one, uh, if not super significant, um, against infection. And that combined with the concern of Delta becoming the dominant variant played a major factor in them saying, you know what, we need to go ahead and do boosters now and not wait until more data comes in that may tell us uh, we're too late and suddenly now people are getting hospitalized and and, and death numbers are going up. Hmm. So it, it's been trying to, trying to figure out when exactly is the right time uh, to give these. And ultimately what the administration landed on is that they want to start late September, September 20th, for people who are eight months out or more from their second vaccination. And so that will be healthcare workers and and nursing home residents first and then kind of on down the line. How will this work logistically? Like let's say it gets to the point where I um I'm someone who's gotten the Moderna shots, so it gets to the point where it's 8 months after I got my second dose of Moderna, I go to get um a booster shot. Do you know why I like definitely get another shot of Moderna? Could I get a Pfizer? Um, do we have details like that figured out yet? A, a lot of it still needs to be still needs to be figured out the specifics. And that's what I think we'll start to hear over the next few weeks. Hmm. The thinking at this point, my understanding is, is that you'll get the booster of the same vaccine 
that you got originally, right? So if you got Pfizer, you'll get a Pfizer booster. If you got Moderna, you'll get a Moderna booster. The one wrinkle in here is for the 13 million of us, including me, who got Johnson & Johnson, right. uh, the one-shot vaccine. And that the, the jury is still out on, mainly because there's an ongoing trial into the effectiveness of giving people two J&J doses, mm. right? And so until that comes in, and that data should be in probably next few weeks, they're kind of holding off on advising people who got J&J on what exactly to do. But assuming that two-dose trial looks good, and again, that's still an assumption, I think the thought there would also be, you know, if you got J&J, get another J&J shot. But that, that's, still, that's still to be determined. So those are sort of the like micro logistical elements. Um, what about sort of on the macro scale? Like when we first launched vaccinations earlier this year, it was kind of nuts. You know, people waiting um, for days, like trying to get appointments, uh, systems crashing, people driving hours and hours to get their shots. Like, <laughs> would that potentially happen again with boosters or have we sort of figured it out at this point? Yeah, it, it was a. I think back to that time. Sometimes it was it was really surreal. Uh, just the yeah, <laughs> just the, the frantic nature of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hope here is that it will be a much more orderly process, and that's for a couple reasons. One, these are being spaced out, right? So it's not going to be a massive rush um, from 160 million people all trying to get boosters at once. That eight month period is there for a reason, and 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 it's not just because the data kind of shows it. It's also because that will allow people to kind of one by one in waves get their vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, we'll have enough supply, healthcare workers, nursing home residents will get theirs first, and then people who were vaccinated in January and in February and March and on and on. So hopefully that will be a little bit more orderly process. The second thing is, you know, if you think back to January and February, we were building the plane as we were trying to take off, right? None of this, none of the apparatus here for doing a mass national vaccination campaign that urgently was in place. Now, seven months later, a lot of that actually is, right? We have a pharmacy program where we can distribute the shots and have the pipeline set up to various pharmacies, Walgreens and CVSs, to hospitals, um, and the capacity to set up if we need these, these mass state and federal vaccination sites again. So a lot of that, just the experience of having gone through it the first time, the hope is that it will be much smoother process this time. One issue that I've seen raised with this is is the idea that we shouldn't be doing boosters here in the U.S. while other nations are nowhere close to getting a significant portion of their populations vaccinated with one or two shots. The WHO, you know, has even said uh, that we shouldn't give out boosters before the rest of the world is, is vaccinated with their first round. Is that a concern here? And if it is, why are we going against the advice of, of international health officials? It is. And this has always been the tension, right, between you know, who do we take care of first, right? As as the U.S., do we make sure that we take care of absolutely everybody in the country, you know, no matter the risk levels? Or do we take care of the highest risk people here and then try to also take care of the highest risk people abroad first, right? What the administration has landed on essentially is this idea of, you know, you're putting your your, your oxygen mask on first before you help others. Mm. Uh, and that's that's controversial, especially at this point when, you know, the majority, the vast majority of high-risk people are vaccinated, right? There was a way they could have done this where they said, we'll do boosters, but only for people who are particularly at risk. And they've done that a bit a couple of weeks ago saying boosters were going to go out first to people who are severely immunocompromised. 
But what they've kind of landed on is this idea that everybody here should get boosters no matter what's happening uh, in the rest of the world. And the Biden administration says, look, they can do both. Uh, hundreds of millions of doses are going to countries that need it at the same time that we're giving out hundreds of millions of doses here. The supply is not an issue. Um, but at the same time, there is kind of the optical issue of of seeing cases skyrocket in developing countries at the same time that we are relatively safe. And, and that is maybe more of a than a policy issue, uh, a political issue with the U.S. going against these international organizations, whether it's the World Health Organization or it's uh, Oxfam, who are really kind of trying desperately to say, by doing these boosters, not only are you taking up supply in the U.S., but you're also setting a precedent for other developed nations who are going to look at this now and say, well, the U.S. is doing it. We might as well hoard some vaccines for ourselves to do boosters here as well. The last thing I'm curious about here is the messaging element of this and the challenges that poses, because you have to convince people now to get a third shot. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, sign me up. I want a booster. But then there are people who it might be harder to reach. And then there's still loads of people um, in the U.S. that you have to convince to get their first shot in the first place. How do you manage all of that? Yeah, I mean, this this in my mind is like the biggest question and the biggest challenge. Mm. Uh, because it's not like things were simple before, right? Uh, we were already trying to have to juggle getting people who are unvaccinated vaccinated and at the same time telling people who are vaccinated, look, breakthroughs are happening, but you know, don't worry about them. And for the longest time, the messaging was very simple. It was if you're vaccinated, you're protected, right? This COVID has become a pandemic of the unvaccinated, right? This idea of of two Americas, one that's safe and one that's not. And now that's just plainly no longer the case, no matter really what, what the administration says. That's no longer the case. And they're complicating it by rolling out this booster program at the same time that they're trying to send different messages to different populations of people. So it's going to be a, a big challenge. It also doesn't help really that this announcement got ahead of the formal scientific declarations by the FDA and the CDC, right? This is a White House that has vowed from the beginning, we're going to follow the science. Uh, and now you get to August, and they're rolling out a plan with a specific implementation date before the FDA has kind of put its official stamp on it and said, yes, we believe these boosters are going to be safe and effective, right? Before the CDC has come out and said, yes, we recommend that all adults get them. So it's just, uh, it adds a little bit of a wrinkle and a little bit of confusion that unless the administration is really very clear about how they message the next several weeks, could end up just further complicating, you know, this effort to get us out of the pandemic. You know, now, I don't know, what, a year and a half, 18 months into this crisis. Adam Kankren, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Anytime. Also today, the Federal Trade Commission is suing Facebook again for antitrust violations, rebooting a high-stakes case to break up the social media giant after a federal judge tossed the agency's original complaint in June. Progressive FTC Chair Lena Khan joined with her two Democratic colleagues in a three-to-two party-line vote this week to file the new complaint. The agency's two Republicans, who both opposed the suit when it was first filed in December, again voted against the new bid. 
The suit seeks to force Facebook to sell off Instagram and WhatsApp in what would be the U.S.'s first court-ordered breakup of a company on antitrust grounds since AT&T in the early 1980s. In a statement, Facebook blasted the FTC's decision to continue what it called a, quote, meritless lawsuit. And... The Biden administration plans to automatically and routinely cancel the federal student loans of Americans who have severe disabilities, significantly expanding a Trump-era policy that had applied only to disabled veterans. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona announced on Thursday that the new policy would immediately apply to about 323,000 borrowers who will have $5.8 billion of debt forgiven by the end of the year without having to fill out paperwork. Cardona said the department would create a, quote, smooth process for our borrowers where they're not going to have to be applying for it or getting bogged down with paperwork. The Politico Dispatch team includes senior editor Raghu Manavalan, senior producer Jenny Amend, and executive producer Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.